Welcome to another edition of Move Through Motivation. I am with a real American hero, a uh, brother in uh, the military, Rob Hernandez, and I'm out of my mind excited to have you on this and share your story because what you went through is not what I went through in my military service. And in the deepest part of my soul, I think your story will resonate with a lot of people and a lot of troops, veterans currently serving, will get inspiration from it. And I can honestly tell you from the deepest part of my heart, as, as an Army veteran and you're an Army veteran, like the respect I have for you, you know? And how I met you was a unique story. We met 2018, right at the, at the, uh, the Open, yep. for the CrossFit Open at Chino CrossFit. And it was a Saturday workout. Yeah. And I felt like we kind of were like uh, going through a, a drill. I, it was weird because we vibed right away. I'm like, this guy's military. I can tell this guy's military. I can tell by his, by his mannerisms and encouragement. Like, I'm like, okay, we're going to get along well. And you crush it. And, you know, we've been, we've been buddies since. And we've done Veterans Day workouts together. And it's, it's been an honor to, to meet you. And today I want your story told. Um, and I want to go back to when you, you joined the highs and the lows, dwell in the lows, but get into the highs of where you're at now and, and really how you're helping. And the reason I, 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 I love having you on this podcast and telling your story in particular is because number one, I know you. Number two, I know that um, you believe in God. And number three, what you're doing now will probably help people get out of a darkness that a lot of them are in and your own brothers that you serve with. So Rob, take the floor, brother. Well, first, uh, thanks a lot. I really appreciate this, this opportunity, Matt. I've never, you know, you see these things uh, done, you hear about them, you listen to them, and you never really think that this is something that you're going to be able to be blessed and kind of partake in. So thanks a lot for the opportunity to kind of share my story. It's, it's by the way, it's an honor for us because I, I really want to say you are a hero. And let's go. Well, thanks. Well, for starters, um, wow, I, uh, I joined back uh I actually joined the army in the summer of 2000. I think I think the day after my 17th birthday. Kind of gave my mom an ultimatum. I said either now, mind you, this is 2000. So nothing was going on. And I told my mom, I said, look, uh, I really want to join the service. Um, you know, I, the way I sold it was was just you know because she, I was 17, she had to sign the waiver as a single mom, so she signed it. Uh, but I, the, the, the catch or the, the, what I told her was, is that if you let me do this, that's great. You know, maybe I'll do something else, uh, but at least I'll have this to fall back on. But it was always at the forefront of my mind that this is exactly what I was going to do. Like born, like from a kid or, or I in knew high school my, recruiter? No, before. So when I was a lot younger, we used to go to the El Toro Air Show every year uh, when it was going on. And I remember being really fascinated with all the equipment and, and, and the weapons, but more so with just the soldiers and, or the Marines that were there at the time. So I was always asking them questions, just hanging around them and they'd point to the airplanes. I'm like, yeah, no, it's okay. I want to look at this. So I think I, I think I was about seven or eight when I knew I was going to be in the military really? and what capacity, I have no idea, but I was going to do something that they were doing. You want to wear the uniform? I want to wear the uniform. Yeah. And, um, and that just stayed with me. I was in, and maybe my parents brushed it off, maybe not, but that day is when they realized that I was, I was always serious, even as a young kid, that I was going to do something um, to that effect. So my mom signed the, the waiver. Uh, I was the summer between junior and senior year, uh, so I continued on. Uh, my senior year, I was, uh, and at the time, it was called the pulley system or future soldier system, what is known now, where you sign the contract, but you're just waiting to ship out until you graduate. So I graduated high school, shipped out within a week and a half, I think. Uh, and I had enlisted for airborne infantry. Uh, that was when, my... when you enlisted, you, 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 you already, yeah, I, they said, you, you want to be a tanker. You'd you like to do anything in logistics. And 
I, my grandfather, it's funny, actually, I got to back up. I was going to join the Marine Corps. And my grandfather uh, was a, a ranger, and he served in World War II. And he stormed the beaches as a ranger in World War II. Wow. So he, he never talked about his military career with me ever. Really? Until I told him that I was going to join. And then he sat me down. He's like, when you go, you want to be a ranger. Don't go. You want to be in the Army, be a ranger. Okay, Gramps, whatever you say. And then when I sat down with the recruiter and then I asked him what being a ranger was all about, he told me, and my recruiter was a ranger. So it, he really kind of. High speed? Yeah, super high speed guy. So he told me what it was all about, and um, I didn't. I was like, I don't need to see a video. I don't need to see a video. Just tell me in your own words, what do you? What is it that you do? And what is it that you love to do? What is it that you love about it? So he gave me like from the heart kind of conversation, which I appreciated at that time. That's what helped me make my decision to to sign at, to be an airborne infantryman, and then I ultimately become a ranger. But so I signed when I, I signed on the dotted line, and uh, yeah, uh, I uh, high school finished. I shipped out. And went straight to um, uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. After senior year. After senior high school, graduate a week and a half later. They, they shipped me out. 17-year-old kid still because my birthday's in August. So I have a late mm -hmm. birthday. Never been away from home. More than a couple of days at a friend's house maybe. Never been on an airplane in my life at that time. Nothing. I, was, I wasn't sheltered, but I didn't go my, you know, in too far. You got shell-shocked for sure. Yeah. So first time on an airplane, I'm going to boot camp. or By so, yourself. By myself. Not with mom and dad. Not just with mom orders. and dad. Just, just orders. Just orders. There was a few other people from California who we all went to the MEPS together yeah, and then yeah, they yeah. shipped us out. And you're lost. You have no idea. And we're like, what do we do? They're like, someone will be on the other side to pick you up. And we're like, okay. Uh, so we were flying over there and I can uh, remember distinctly remember one of these guys singing, uh, leaving on a jet plane, don't know when I'll be home again. And that really, <laughs> really stuck with me ever since. So we land and there's a drill starting there. Oh, mind you, I think... We were surprised on how nice this guy was. We're like, what? These are drill sergeants? This guy's nice. Well, come to find out, these drill sergeants are on their way out. So their just job is to pick the people up, take them to the, to the base, and that's about it. So I'm like, okay, it's not so bad. We get to reception. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, 30th uh, AG, which is the reception battalion, you go at Fort Benning, Georgia. All Everybody gets processed through there and pushed out. So because it was the beginning of summer, there was a summer rush. So we were stuck and 30th AG reception battalion for 30 days. It's supposed to be three to five days. And that's that's like being in purgatory. It's exactly what I was going to say. Purgatory <laughs> is real if you believe it. It's it's you're waiting with people who are excited and you're just stuck. Yeah, right? you yeah. You can't do anything. Now imagine you know you have those yeah. many guys in one place. Oh, oh, testosterone. Yeah, all kinds of silly things happen. Guys are trying to break out and yes. we're, we're going to the train station and Jules trying to already knew the route, so they'd go there, wait for them, bring like, them back. It's almost like jail, like like being in like a holding cell. Uh, yeah, I would assume that's what it's like, but yeah, yeah it's exactly what it's it, gotta be what it's like. It, it was it was ridiculous. And we weren't allowed to really work out too much because they didn't want us to get hurt. So it was this really weird limbo thing going on. And then finally we got picked up like, yes. And the first experience I had was, uh, I remember his name was Drill Sergeant Burleson. Burleson. Yeah, he was our, he wasn't our senior drill sergeant. He was one of the other drill sergeants. Uh, well, you remember his name from I remember. 2000, so that's I remember all of their names. But that was definitely one of you, Burleson. Yeah, yeah, yeah because he stuck, he, he stuck out because at that time, you know, no, he didn't have, Cell phones barely existed, and let alone no no smartphones. Yeah. So I had my little cell phone, my Nokia cell phone, yes. and then they weren't allowed. But I had it in my bag. So he, they they before we even get to the bus, they pull our bags out, drop your bags, dump them. And he sees my cell phone, he grabs it, and he chucks it against the wall, and it shatters my cell phone. He's like, you won't be needing that. And I was like, ah. And then I had a little fun taper camera. He gets my camera and smashes it. You won't be needing that. And I was like, is this is this real life? What's going on? Mom. Yeah. Where's my mom? At that point, I was like, oh, what did I get myself into? But yeah. I still wasn't regretting it. It was such right. a shock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we uh, get on the buses and um, they're yelling at us. We get on the bus and then we show up to Sand Hill, which is part of the base where uh, infantry basic training is held. So we go and I'm assigned to Charlie Company 150th uh, Infantry Regiment, which is the battalion, infantry battalion for a boot camp battalion. So we're there and going through boot camp and and at that time i played baseball but that was about it so it was the physical aspect of it was pretty challenging for me at that time uh but they got us all in shape and my platoon or the ranger was the ranger platoon 
So everybody who had an Airborne Infantry Ranger contract was in that platoon. Yeah, you're 11 Bravo going in? Is that your MLS? Yeah, your MLS 11, so 11 Bravo. 11 Bravo. Infantrymen. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, uh, but you had a, a contract to go into the... Yeah, it's called Option 40. Oh, okay. So when you sign, you get different yep. options, and that's the one for infantry, Airborne Infantry Ranger. Uh, so yeah, so the Ranger platoon, we, we all of our drill sergeants were Rangers. Our senior drill sergeant, his name was, as he was a Puerto Rican guy named Arsuega, drill sergeant Arsuega. He was sergeant first class, and he didn't say much. He didn't even yell. But what he did was... <laughs> Crush your soul? Yeah. He would go, all without, right. Without words, he crushed your soul. He, uh, we knew it was coming when he would say, all right, privates. And then that's when the other drill sergeants would just come and attack. And uh, there was one particular point where I left my wall locker unsecure. You know, you have your bunk bed and you have your wall locker and your foot locker. Well, I thought my combination lock, I, I pressed it closed because we were running early to, uh, to formation. I'd hear the click, but I was like, all right, I think, I, I think it's locked. I ran out, went to formation and we did PT, physical training every morning at 0545 <laughs> and PT. Two hour PT session, get back and my entire wall locker is tossed. And they took my shaving cream and put all my shaving cream over everything. And then they wrote oops on my locker with shaving cream. And uh, I was like, oh, and Joe Sarnasurek is like, Hernandez, he basically had me move my, my bunk bed, my wall locker, he made me move it outside for the day. And then uh, that was where I had to stay because he needed he needed to see cute so people. It's so awkward too, right? I mean, when this happens, you're like, "Is this really happening?" Yeah, this guy's making me stay outside. Outside the for the whole day and the night, and then that work. tiny thing of just leaving the locker. Mm -hmm. It was it was uh, the biggest thing that they teach you, or you know, it's hindsight 2020. You yeah. learn this yeah. as you're going through your experience, but when you look back, you you realize what it was all about and detail, attention to detail, yeah. so attention to detail, following orders because the little things like securing your wall locker or or having your boots dressed right, dressed with the laces a certain way. These things are matter, especially later on, because at that time there wasn't a war. But then, you know, all hell broke loose on 9-11. And at that point we were, on that day, I believe it was a Tuesday, we were Tuesday. we were on the rifle range qualifying. You're still in basic. I'm still in basic training. Qualifying at the rifle range, it was the last day. Mm. And I'm on the firing line and they're giving the commands from the tower and so you're tamed the same time zone being in Georgia as yes. New York. Yeah, okay. East, East, okay. East Coast, Eastern yeah. time zone. Yeah. Yep. So you're, you're riding the ticket. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got two shots in on the 25 and the 50 meter target. I remember I hit it and I was like, you know, nervous. But because I was worried about qualifying and I really wanted to shoot X for that day. And then we hear cease fire, cease fire, cease fire from the tower. And the drill sergeant team were like, what's going on? We're like, oh man, someone's probably injured or who knows what. Yeah. So then all of a sudden, Joe Sarn say, you know, we get the commands to um, lock and clear our weapons, move off the firing line, step back, and then we see all the Joe Sarns huddling together. Like, what's going on? And then one of the Joe Sarns on the far end of the lane was running across yelling, they just hit the second tower. Yeah. We're like, what is that all about? Yeah. And um, yeah, they, they, the company commander, which you never see in boot camp, the captain came out there um, and put us all in horseshoe formation. And I remember him saying very vividly, if you aren't taking your training seriously, this ish just hit the fan. You better take it serious now. I'm getting chills right now, bro. I'm getting yeah. I, I can only imagine what that's like. Yeah. I mean, I was 18 at the time. And uh, yeah, so I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, we've just been attacked. Mm. Both, uh, both towers, the Twin Towers, both towers have been hit. We don't know what's going on, but be prepared for war. And we knew nothing yet, nobody knew anything. And so we had to carry on. And the, the crazy thing was it didn't hit me at the time, but we had a guy in my platoon who was from New York who uh, was affected by that. Uh, yeah, his mom was in one of the towers, unfortunately. And he left. He left and he came back. Did he really? He came back. Did he really? He came back. Um, but the rest of that day was just surreal because here we are, you know, like you're in the beginning. Like this is this is the beginning of your journey. And, yeah, and it's kicking off. And it it started. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. things that you you know you join the service and you you I mean of course you're in the military so you can expect a level of yeah. you know possibility of things happening. But the probably the most terror and the most horrible attack on our country happened while I was in boot camp. Yeah. So we we qualified. We all shot, and they made sure that we didn't leave until we 
the entire company shot expert. We stayed out there for that reason. They wanted us all to shoot expert. So we shot and shot and shot. So we all got that done and scored away. And, but because we were not qualified with our weapons, at that time, the guard, the, the, the bases were, were, were guarded by just the military police. Nowadays, they have military police and they have federal police, a lot more federal police to guard the gates, yep. checkpoints. Yep. But at that time, it was just military police. So since we were all qualified with all weapons, we had to do rotations on the gate guard uh, while in boot camp. 12-hour shifts for that whole week. So they extended our boot camp a week because of that. Uh, it was all hand on deck, so we were, you know, I mean, they brought out the Bradleys. They even brought out some of the tanks. They on the gates. Yeah, it was it was a strange time yeah. at that time at all military bases because you know when you could go into a military base before 9/11, you could go into a military base with your basic ID. Mm -hmm. After 9/11, like even at reserve centers where my state, they, they would literally they, they all the Humvees, the PLSs, everything would be lined up at a gate because nobody knew what was going on, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and, and and you know eventually did come out um, who was involved and yeah. and whatnot. It changed the game. It changed the game. It changed the game. At that time, our focus was even though we weren't in Cold War anymore, obviously, but our focus yeah. was to go against the Russians. Yeah, that's the way we traded a lot of trench warfare and whatnot. And then you know, so 9/11 happens. I, I I graduate. I'm fast forward. I graduate. Nothing really eventful. Oh yeah, there is one. My birthday. I turned 18 yeah. August 19th in boot camp. I turned 18. 18 and uh august 19th of 2001 and it was raining that day it was georgia it's hot humid and it just pours cats and dogs uh so it was another guy's birthday and then we're talking about it. I was like you can tell me your birthday i'm not saying anything <laughs> are you telling me your birthday i'm not saying anything the drill were at our, in our eyes they were they were they were something else so we get through the whole day of whatever we were doing and it was pouring cats and dogs and it was about 10 30 at night we we're we're toe the line. So in the middle of our of the squad bay, we call it the kill zone, where you're not allowed to touch. And it's probably the most waxed spot in the whole bay. And they yell, toe the line. So there's a line all around it. And you'll toe the line, literally. So we're there in form of, you know, position tension. You're like, Hernandez and I think it's Zakowski, Zakowski, Hernandez Zakowski, posting the kill zone. We're like, oh, man. And none of the guys knew it was already. So they were looking at us like, what did you guys do? Like, we're about to get it because you. What did you guys do? They're like, they failed to let y'all know that it's their birthdays today. <laughs> so they made them all sing happy birthday to us. And then we all did 18 push-ups because we both turned 18. They're like, all right, carry on. We're like, okay, we're, we're in the clear. They're like, right, so <laughs> lights out and we're getting the bunks. Like, Hernandez. Oh, and the other guy, they, didn't pronounce, they couldn't pronounce his name. So because they couldn't pronounce his name, if they can't pronounce your name, they just call you Alphabet. It's like Hernandez and Alphabet, get downstairs. So we get down there and it's pouring and we you know we call it the pit, which was a volleyball field, but it's yeah, a pit. They took the right. net off. That's right. And it's all just muddy and soaking and slobby or whatever. And and at the end of the, the pit there, they create about a three foot tall mound of mud. And they're like, there's your birthday cake. Get on the other side and low crawl to it and have some cake. Wow. So we low crawled all over there and we had some cake and they made us dig into it. And what they did was they hit a Snickers bar and they made us share it. They're like, eat it right now. You got 30 seconds. <laughs> like, all right, cool. That's worth it. And, but you remember that 20 I years later. I remember that. I mean, that. you literally remember that. Like, Clear as day. Yeah. Yeah. Those memories. Are those incredible. memories are what helped shape me, I think, as a young man. Yeah. yeah. And perspective. Uh, a lot, you know, my mom, I love my mom to death, you know, and she did everything she, she could and she did a lot of things for me. Yeah. Uh, growing up without really a father figure, that's where I got it from. It's, it was just from my Joe's house. I think that a lot of guys, I've met many of them who didn't have, I found that their closest thing to a dad was drill sergeant. Yep. You mm -hmm. know, because they were hard on you. Mm -hmm. But the, in some crazy way, drill sergeant Dobbins will, is forever in dad in my head. Like they have such a unique capability of getting you to another level you never thought you were capable of. Yeah. And it's a special relationship, whether, yeah. you know, anybody going through it, it's a really special relationship. So. It was, it was, it was, it was an, a tremendous experience and that that's ingrained in my mind for sure. So let's talk about uh, after you go to 82nd Airborne School. Yeah, so I graduated boot camp and then I immediately went to airborne school there, also at Fort Benning, Georgia. So you didn't go anywhere. You didn't get a weekend. Now. I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> the other the other guys and the other guys yeah, they, they, they went home travel. for vacation. Yeah, yeah. She, and they're she, like, All right, all you airborne guys, great job. Get on the bus. Walk around the corner. 
we on the bus and then took us to the other side of the base and then okay. we marched out there and uh it was awesome it was three it's three week course um and the point of it is is learning how to jump out of planes and how to conduct a parachute landing fall no, I I heard did you really like jumping out of a perfectly functioning airplane because they wanted me to go to airsoft school and, and Sergeant first class said, hey, Olsen, you qualified. I said, well, first of all, I'm a supply. Why do I need to do this? Like, no, you're high speed. You could do this. And I, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to jump on a rope outside of a <laughs> helicopter. You've lost your mind. I mean, but out of an airplane, I get, you know. Well, you know, I, at that kid, I'm a, I've always been a firm believer of you don't get your feet wet. You just jump in the, the Okay, thing, okay. Know? That's one way to look at that's it. That's the yes. way. That's the okay. way right. I, I am because I know me because yeah. the longer I think about something, yeah, the more I'm, reason, I'm fighting. Your head first. Yeah. You go ahead first then. Okay. If I think about it too long, I'm finding excuses on why I should not do it. So okay. I, I avoid that. Okay. So yeah, yeah. First, mind you, first time on the plane, going to boot camp. <laughs> Second time on the plane, I'm jumping out of it. And I have, because of my roster number, I happen to be the first guy in the door. So I was the number one jumper on my side of the, of the C-130. So they gave the commands. C-130. Yeah, they gave the commands. You, you go through the, through the commands in the bird and stand up, hook up, and then you check equipment and all this good stuff. So I'm there, they open the door, and then the jump master's out there hanging out of the, out of the, out of the Special plane, physically, hanging out. I'm like, at that time, I'm like, why is he outside of the plane? What is he doing? Uh, well, you know, uh, he was doing his job. So uh, red light turns on, and he says, all right, he know he sees a 30-second mark, and he says, stand by. I hand my static line off to the safety jump master, turn towards the door and I'm just there waiting and I'm looking at everything and it's 1500 feet above ground level so it isn't high but it's high enough for it, you to it, freak listen, out let me, let me, man, 10 feet is really high man. <laughs> yeah. jumping out of it, I mean, 1500 feet and I, I think that, that was the one time where I asked myself that question is this really what you want to do jump out of an airplane and by the way it's not just you jumping out of the plane there's no. guys behind you right I mean, there's a there's 60, how many guys behind you 62 jumpers there's 62 people jumping behind you oh, yeah. the first one out the door yep this is jumping 31 headphones. jumpers on my door oh, my now number one so oh, i know if i don't go here's the thing you don't you don't make your five count your five jumps you don't graduate so they're gonna push you out the door because they okay. want to get out okay all right so green light green light comes on the jump master yells green light goes smacks my bottom and i just jump out and that was the start of like uh uh, my airborne career right there. Did you, did you, I mean, was it really enjoyable? That uh, first rush, I mean, what's it like? It, it was such an incredible out. feeling because, you know, you, it's, you're, you, as soon as you jump out, you automatically get sucked out. Uh, and, and because, you know, the plane's going one way, wind's going the other way. So you do, you know, my, on my door, I jumped out and, made, and I turned left and went out. And then you, you, uh, you count to 4,000, 1,000, 2,000, up to 4,000. And up to 4,000, that's when your shoot deploys. And if you're still counting 5,000, 6,000, 7, then you got to pull reserve. Thankfully, it never happened to me. Okay. So, you know, you know, it's super loud and noisy because you got the engines rowing right, right over you. And then you jump out, and then it's just a rush of the wind. And then after that 4,000 count, it's just silence. It's just the most peaceful, peaceful experience I've ever had where you're, 1500 feet above the ground you're over the beautiful drop zone over the you know the lush green area of georgia yeah uh and it's just quiet and you're just seeing all these parachutes deploy behind you and it's just a you know, it's just like a bunch of paratroopers in the air just enjoying taking it all in and then uh jump master's got the bullhorn way down there and he's yelling at you guys do this do that slip left slip right and they're giving you commands from the ground and, and you could hear him you could hear him because it was a you could hear a pin drop up there it's so quiet uh, and it was probably the most, that was an awesome experience that first time. Um, and that one you do, what, it was called the Hollywood jump. So well, the reason why they call Hollywood is because you're not jumping any combat equipment. You're just jumping and you're just jumping. That's it. Nothing else. Yeah. Just, you, that's it. So yeah, you do five jumps, two at night with combat equipment. And those, uh, that, that's the end of your, your airborne school. So I finished airborne school. Um, happened to coincide with right with Christmas vacation, Christmas leave. So um, went home for two weeks, and then uh, January fourth, I reported to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, and I was assigned to the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, got, proud unit, proud unit. Yeah, proud unit. Great I, history. Yeah, I uh, I just. Amazing camaraderie. 
Absolutely. I think that probably at that time too, right? I mean, especially at that time, you know, all, all, uh, some of the units are already in uh, Afghanistan. This is the new year. So this is after, you know, I think it was around October time frame is when yeah. people started deploying uh, 2001. So I got to the unit. I missed that first Afghan deployment. My unit was already uh, there. So they kept us uh, to train us up. And then um, I got assigned to a, uh, I was in, I got assigned a second battalion. 325th Airborne Infantry Regiment, uh, which is now part of 2nd Brigade Combat Team in the 82nd. And uh, Falcon Brigade, I was a White Falcon. I got to the unit and it was just an incredible time. Yeah. Uh, you know, 18 year old kid and all, around all these, these high speed studs. And they really took me in. I got there, it was a long weekend. I'm not sure, oh yeah, obviously it was New Year's. So I got, I got to my unit and they just embraced me like family right away. They took me in, uh, my roommate, he like showed me the ropes and so happened that he was from California, from Bakersfield. Uh, my buddy Garcia. So immediate bond. Immediate bond. Immediate bond with the whole crew. The whole platoon, everybody. That's, yeah, that's, they, they took us unique, in. That's unique, right? Yeah. That's, that's kind of unique. A lot of the sergeants weren't there the, because of the fact that it was a, it was a long weekend. So whoever was on, on CQ, in charge of quarters duty, meaning, you know, they're there 24 seven. Yep. They're the ones who picked me up and assigned like, hey, you're going to be here. Here's your room. You'll get more more info come come Tuesday morning because it was a four day weekend. So they just took me in, and like any other uh, young young paratrooper, we drank like fishes. And yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I think we slammed back about two thirty racks. That's right. And that's right. That's right. Not proud of it, but it was hey, what you listen, did. Listen, listen, that's what is what they do. Okay? We don't say it's what we do. It's, it's what happens. It was a it was you the know? best time of my life. I was uh, I learned a lot from these guys who took me in, and there were some hard charges, man. They yeah. worked hard and they play hard. Different level, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, you know, we did that. We got there, and then um, we did. We got orders to go to Afghanistan. So we ended up in uh, in Tora Bora in the mountains along the Pakistani border. Uh, I guess looking for Osama, you know, fighting fighting all those guys up there. And um, still 18 years old. Uh, yeah, and it was that was crazy hiking, hiking up, you know, at four or five thousand feet elevation. Um, and just, we, I mean, this is such a mountainous terrain, um, that it was just constantly hiking, no flat ground. We were trying to always look for the high ground and, and we had a couple of firefights and one in particular, uh, these Taliban guys and we chased into a cave and, um, we went in there, we went in there and one of the guys in the other platoon got hit on the arm. So we pulled out of the cave and, uh, the local, uh, herder that we had with us who spoke broken English, kind of took him on as a translator uh, because he spoke Pashto. And um, he's like, yeah, this cave is sh shallow, he said. It's only about 50 feet in and it stops. So their idea was to pull everybody out and then we're gonna just collapse the cave. So they said, Hernandez. I said, yes, sir. And they're like, have you ever shot the AT4, which is the rocket launcher? I said, nope. Then get to shoot it. He's like, well, today's your lucky day. So he gave me the 84. And without hesitation, I, uh, yeah, opened up the sights, the front and rear sights, apertures, and fired it in there, and it, it collapsed yeah. on the inside. And that was the end of that. And uh, it, at the time, you know, I think I, I you know, 18-year-old kid, I just killed two, two guys. Um, and it didn't hit me the way I thought it would. I, I didn't, I thought maybe I, you know, I would be in shock or like, you know, just it's such a heavy experience, but I was, I was high-fiving my buddies. Uh, you know, my, my squalor just gave me a big old slap on the back. It's like, you know, good stuff. Like he was, he was more colorful language, but that's pretty much how it went. And I, I was on the high that day. Um, and <clears throat> that, you know, that was just a, a the first experience of many where, you know, these things would come back to uh, years later, years later, it would, all, it would all come back. But, um, so, <clears throat> you know, that, that deployment was, um, very, very fast. It was only six months. It was a very specific mission we had out there. Uh, and we weren't like the spearhead or anything like that. You know, a lot of the like Delta was out there, you know, a lot of, a lot of people were out there. Right. 
Uh, we were, right. yeah, so uh, we, we did what you we had your mission. Do. We had our mission. We completed months, our mission. You did your mission. We came back, and it was awesome. Um, and then we just continued training. Um, and let me ask you break real quick. Mm-hmm. The training after deployment, did it, did it change the training that you would do differently than before? You know what I mean? Like, yes. I mean, the way you, I'm not talking about what, what you did, but your perspective in the way that you trained. Absolutely, you know? because now I had experience dealing with an enemy um, who, who had a routine or they did what they did. So when we got back, the army did a really good job of trying to, um, sort of mimic that sort of experience by even going as far as, um, hiring outside agency organizations to play, uh, op four or, you know, up op the opposition yeah. force yeah. and stuff we would, before, we, yeah, and like exactly. Yeah. Where we would do it internally. We still did. Uh, but there was a lot more, a lot of lessons learned. Uh, that they that they employed um, with the training, and the training just got better, got better. A lot of uh, a lot of um, um, which, which saves lives. Absolutely, the training saves lives. Exactly, uh, you train like you fight. So, so that's deployment one. That's deployment one. How many deployments did you do? Five. How many did you do? Five. Five deployments. Five. Yeah. Wow, wow. Five and, deployments. And what age were you from in these deployments? So that was my first deployment. I was eighteen. I turned uh, nineteen out there. And then uh, my next second deployment was the uh, invasion of Iraq in 2003. And I believe... Jessica Lynch? How yeah, was during that, during, yeah, I was there for the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. I was right after. So I was in, I was still in the second. I had gone to Ranger School when I got back, uh, graduate Ranger School, and that was such an awesome experience. Yeah? Uh, Better than Airborne? Uh, yeah. Or, or uh, different experience? Different experience altogether. But, uh, because they both have a very particular job or right. role, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that is such a great so leadership you're school. Second Airborne, and you're now a ranger. Yeah, now and I'm a ranger. Now, now you're high speed. Now I'm a ranger. I mean, besides being down, you you were high. Yeah, high speed. I I, right? I felt that, you know, but there were 19 or 20 when you get to ranger school. Uh, I was 19. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's 19 okay. years old, and and think about the 82nd Airborne a lot, like a lot of other units. Um, they want the leadership to be ranger ranger tab, to have tabs. Really? Yeah. So like the especially the officers. Yeah. And for you know platoon sergeant and above, you're gonna you, if you want to be in that kind of leadership role, you better have a tab, yeah. or else you're gonna get Makes it. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. So uh, range school was 62 days, and that was a first time go. Thankfully. First time go. First time go. Yeah. Because think no about rollover, no, injury, no rollover, nothing, huh? no injuries. The thing about ranger school is you can, not only can you roll over because of meaning like you have to go back and recycle a specific yeah. phase based yeah. off because of an injury, yeah. but you can get peered out. Really. So huh. after every uh, module where you do certain scenarios or whatnot, training and training sessions, um, whether you're doing land nav or field time or whatever, you're in groups and you they sit down and then you vote on who's the weakest link. Wow. And if so you get peers. so many demerits, they, they, they you get peered out, you get dropped. So first time go. First time go, thankfully. Outstanding. So this is before your second or third deployment? Before my second deployment. Okay. So, we do a little stint in Peru for a month of training, some cross uh, cross training with them. Got proven jumpings out of it. It was an awesome experience. And um, and then, yeah, so everything goes down with um, the decision to deploy to Iraq. Uh, and the thing about the 82nd Airborne, it's it's part of the 18th Airborne Corps, so it's a quick reaction force, a quick response force, rather. So they can go anywhere in the world, uh, wheels up within 18 hours of notification wow. from the president. Um, so that was the one time where we we get the call. Um, there is a, a, a you, you got, there's a call out roster, and you got to be within two hours of your unit during that time frame of you got a two hour recall window. It could be a few months. So during that time, we always know we're going to get training. So we'll, we'll get the call that says, um, you know, it's a number. I mean, it's sorry, it's it's a it's a color and a specific thing, a car. Mm-hmm. So if it's a, this particular color and this car. You know, it's a training scenario, but you, it's, you know, it's, we're going to go through the whole motions and we're going to tear a recall and train and do this and that. Well, this particular time we get the one that's associated with the real world call out. It's two o'clock in the morning and we get the call and I'm like, is this serious? <laughs> this is really happening. We had an idea it was coming because we knew what was going to, was going to go on. We get the call. Boom. And, uh, so uh, I told my wife at the time, I was like, Hey, I just got the call. She's like, you serious? I'm like, yeah. She was pregnant at the time. Wow. So I uh, have her drive me to on um, post. We get to my unit. 
and the military police had already sent up roadblocks and concertina wire around the company area. And that was the last place that my wife could be to say goodbye to me there. So they confiscate our phones and they're like, all right, take, take, goodbye, to your, take goodbye to your family's right here. Say goodbye to the wife. And then we get to the company area. We get in there and they're like, all right, it's game time. We're going, we're going to Iraq. Now, prior to this, we had trained a lot on jumping different altitudes in different scenarios. They have ramped up the airborne training, the, the jumping. So we're like, are we gonna jump? Are we gonna jump? Are we gonna jump? And they don't say anything to us. They get us all together and then they bus us. They get all, we, our equipment's ready to go. We're dialed in. And then we, they bus us to Green Ramp, which is the Air Force side of the base, which is called Pulp Air Force Base. And Green, Green Ramp is the airfield area where you go and um, you muster there and then you go onto the birds and do whatever you're gonna do. So we get to Green Ramp, it's all locked down there. When we get the briefing, we're jumping into Iraq. We're jumping into Baghdad, well, at that time, Saddam International Airfield. And I'm like, oh man, so it was us, 3rd Ranger Battalion, and some SF guys. And we were going before anybody else. Uh, so we um, gave us all our ammunition there. We had to go show up in civilians. We flew out in civilians. Um, they told our families we were going to Kuwait. We went to Saudi Arabia instead. So we get to Saudi Arabia and you know, first we get to Germany. That's our, we get to Frankfurt. We go to Frankfurt. We go to Frankfurt and we, um, they refit there. And then we get some more briefings about what we're going to do. And then we fly to, um, RR, Saudi Arabia, which is in the middle of the desert. Nothing in sight as far as the horizon can see, except for one lonely highway and an airport. We got there and feeling pretty good. I'm like, yeah, I'm a new Ranger Tab kid. You know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. You've done one deployment. Yeah, you know, I'm feeling good. Yeah. You know, my high horse, yeah. proverbial high horse. Yeah. I get off the plane and I immediately realize that we're pretty much the redheaded stepchildren there because the CIA was there, Delta Force was there, uh, Navy, um, uh, the Navy Special, I mean, the uh, developmental group was there, which is their SEAL Team 6 guys. Uh, anybody who didn't exist was there. And then there we were. And I remember getting off the C-17 Globemaster and I get off the airfield and we're walking way out in the distance. There's these tents already set up. And I look to my left and there's a mock-up of a Chinook helicopter, which has got the two big rotors. And there are these guys trying to fig figure out how many camels they can fit inside of it. Because they were going to roll out in camels. <laughs> they're, they're pushing these camels in. I can hear the camels just, just like grunting and then they, they didn't want to, I guess, budge. And then we're like, wow, that's something else. So I'm like, what's going Most on? Most random thing you see getting Yeah, and then that. we see like these right. Nissan Frontier trucks fitted yeah. with Mark 19s and 50 yeah. cows. Yeah. Well, what it was is these guys were going out ahead of everybody and to go knock out scud sites. So they were going to be out on their scud own missiles. scud missiles. So we get out there and uh, we get briefed and we meet up with the Ranger Regiment that's out there. And it was... Uh, it's crazy. At, at this point, I'm 19 already, and um, we're we're just training, 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 Super training. Speed. Been through all the training. Yeah. You're ready for what you got to do. Yeah. And then, business, right? and we, they, they issue us our parachutes and all this other stuff. And then, I don't know if I can say this, but you see, remember the series Band of Brothers? Yeah. Were their particular part in the first episode, and they're like, "No jump today." Yeah. Well, that's what happened to us. They really? said, no jump today. Really? So you're all hyped up. You're We're all hyped up. And then they, now you are battle ready. They canceled it. And it was because um, they did the Blitzkrieg move, 3rd Infantry Division. They beelined it through the desert straight to Baghdad and bypassed all the cities on the way. So they, they're like, oh, we're here. And I'm like, well, they don't need us to do that anymore. <laughs> like, what are we going to do now? So change of mission. We decided they put us all on trucks. And then we... Uh, oh, we flew actually. Mm, let me backtrack. They said we're gonna go ahead and hit city, all the cities that were missed, yeah. from from the Saudi border all the way to Baghdad. We're gonna go and fight anybody who's in there, the Fideen, the Republican Guard, all those guys. Any bad news? You're Any bad news? So, it's <sighs> a funny story. So, the day before, we're like playing a little football game, and one of our guys, Nelson, gets hit, gets clobbered. Get, and gets a concussion and he's hurting and he's all right though and then we we played a joke on him or we told him our platoon sergeant told the medic hey tell him you got to do a uh a, a, a core temperature 
check his core temperature. And he's like, all right, I don't know about it. all right. So he, we tell we all and whole squads in the tent looking at Nelson and this laid out in this cot. And they're like, hey, uh, hey, bud, we're gonna have to check your core temperature. He's like, oh, that's fine. And he's like, I don't think you understand. We're gonna have to check your core temperature. He's like, okay, go ahead. What do you hear? What? And he's like, no. He's like, Put exactly. He's like, pull your pants down. He's like, what? <laughs> so he did it. We took pictures and we all had a good laugh. And then he realized he didn't have to do it. Yeah, so that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That went down. So you're, so you're cleaning up. You're doing what the, the mission you thought you were going to be on. Derailed. Derailed. Give a mission. So they fly us uh, on a C-130 Talon, which is like an armored version. Uh, it's like the C-130 on steroids. Okay. They gutted this entire plane out. Nothing's in it. They gave us some D-rings and uh, and like a, and a harness. They said, you're going to strap straight into the floor. And that's how you're going to sit. This is going to be a quick thing. So... We, uh, we all get in there, pack in there like sardines, and then we take off in the middle of the night. Cross, fly across the border, and this plane's doing nap of the earth, so it's real low. And then all of a sudden, he pulls straight up. Come to find out, they're, they're shooting some SAMs at us, some surface air missiles. And then we see the loadmaster literally like stepping on top of us, going to the sides of the portholes and looking, and we, you can hear the chaff and the flares going off. And then um, thankfully, none of them hit us, but it was scary surreal surreal you can't control anything i was like we're not even going to get there we're already going to die we're going to get blown up in the middle of the air uh but we got through that and uh we landed in um talil talil airfield in in uh in the, out in the outskirts of in iraq in the middle of nowhere so from there it's, we uh wait till morning we load up on trucks and we head for the first city it's called asamoa uh asamoa was um, big because it had the supply around the supply route ran straight through that there were some bridges that we had to take from the enemy because that was how we were going to get our supplies through and they were holding it um there were over 500 fedayeen um, um soldiers in there fedayeen saddam's son i believe it was uday was responsible and in charge of the fedayeen which was basically like a really radicalized arm of the military um, they all ran around with bombs strapped to the chests. So if they needed to, they'd just blow themselves up. If worst case scenario. Um, so there was over 500 of those guys in there and we attacked the city and we fought hard, um, for a few days. We took the bridges, a couple of guys got injured. And I remember one in particular, um, got shot in the stomach, uh, from my little platoon. And, uh, at that time I was a RTO radio telephone operator for my platoon. I was the radio guy. So I um, pushed out with my LT and we went to go meet up with the other platoon. Guy, the guys got injured and we pulled them out and they had a Humvee. At the time, there were no armored vehicles, no armored Humvees or anything. It was all skin, uh, soft, you know, canvas. It's canvas doors and whatnot. So we had no doors on. The only way we can get this guy out of there was on one of these uh, regular Humvees that didn't have a cargo area in the back. It was a short one. The four-seater. The four-seater. The little truck in the back. Exactly. But I, I don't not know. Bit, it's it's not even a cabin in that bag. Exactly. Like a full bed. It's a half bed. Yeah. If that. Yeah. So we had them on a stretcher. We couldn't put them back there. So mm. we stuck them to the hood. We strapped them down and we sat on top of the hood. And while the medic was working on them, me and the LT were just basically firing off the side, like on the <laughs> on the side of the Humvee, holding off for dear life, yeah. and getting him out of there. And then, uh, 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 well, he made it, but he at that time, but he did die later mm. from his wounds, I guess. But so, but you did everything you could. We did everything we could. You know, the medics did what they needed to do. Yeah. We got them back uh, um, to the casualty collection point, and you know, they took, they flew them out. So, uh, from Mount Samoa, we fought in Najaf, and then Ramadi, and then Diwaniya, uh, Fallujah, and then Diwaniya, and then we followed all the way to Baghdad, and that's where we stayed. And so, instead of the, the easy route of flying in, yeah. City by city to get to your end destination. Yeah, city yeah, by city, much. liberating every single one. Yeah. And um, it was kind of a real crazy experience because the people genuinely want, were happy that we were there at the time because we were getting rid of the flushing of the dudes that didn't belong, that weren't from there, that were basically holding the town's yeah. hostages. Yeah. And it was unfortunate seeing a lot of the the casualties of, of what those people did to the locals there. Um, and just, you know, women, children, men just 
just dead laying around. And we see bodies that were thrown off the top of five, six story buildings for whatever reason, I don't know. Yeah. We thought maybe they committed suicide, but then we went to the back of the building. There was an, another 25 more on a pile that were tossed off the top. And you know, you're still 19 years old. Still 19, 19 years, years old. 19 years old, you're on your second deployment. And does this seem normal to you at this point? Because there's, I mean, hey, when, hey. I say, when I say normal, like you've been through the trend, the, the, the elite level training that you've been through, and your mindset of 19 is different than when you're at 38 now. I mean, you just want to come home, right? I mean, that's your thing. You and your buddies come home. What's, yeah. your, man, what's your mindset? You know, looking back now, what it was then? At that time, you're in such tunnel vision. You're not even, because mind you, during the Iraq war in that beginning, we didn't even know when we were going to go home. Well, they told us maybe six months, and we were there for a year. Yeah, same Six months, you got boots on ground. And then, landed one year. And then a year. And then so, you know, that 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 was that. But um, at that time, it was just about getting through, getting yeah. through it. Right. It wasn't about, and quite, I mean, we had all the support back home. We weren't thinking about all that. Yeah. None of that. That was another world. We want to get through the day. Yeah. And I remember in ranger school, uh, the guy, my ranger buddy, I, he was much older than I was. I'm like, how are you making this look easy? How are you getting through this? And it stuck with me. Um, and he said, look, man, you got to you gotta break this down or else you can get overwhelmed with everything that we got to get done. He's like, when you wake in the morning, just thank God that you woke up and then just tell me to get you to lunch. And you get to lunch, thank God, and say, all right, just get me to dinner. And then you just break it down in increments. And that perspective really helped you at it, the time. It right? did, especially not knowing when we were going to go home on yeah, a deployment. That's right. That's right. You're like, when's our wake-up time? When's our one-year wake-up? Is that when we landed? Was it when we took off? Mm -hmm. like, well, we didn't know that it was going to be a year yeah, until right. maybe understand. eight months in. That's right. We didn't know. We found out October 30th yeah. for the, the Halloween that we were going to be. That was a depressing day. It was. A, yeah. It, it was a very sad day. I remember just even remember the commander coming in and going, hey, we're not leaving today we're, we're staying here for a couple more and we got a good date and it's not now so yeah and so you do this deployment you make it home again make it home and you do three more three more when does your accident which deployment did you it was on the last deployment your yeah. Fifth deployment. yeah we were in Talafar in the north and uh we're just running a just we did a mission we were you know uh we went we did we did what we needed to do there was no issues. People we went to go get the king quietly. It was great. We took a different route back. We, you know, you purposely don't take the same route because then they get used to that and they put bombs there. Well, we took a different route back, and I guess it just got lucky with us. They stuck um, uh, three um, or yeah, it was three 105 millimeter howitzer rounds together, and they stuck them under a col in a culvert under the under the road, which you know it's a drainage system. They stuck it in there. They figured it may, may as well be really big enough so that it'll, you know, destroy whatever's above the, the dirt of the road. So, and you can kind of get a sense that something's going to happen when you don't see anybody out. Not a soul is out because they kind of know that something's there. So they, they avoid that area. And then because they know a bomb will go off, they don't want, you know, the locals don't want to be anywhere near that. Well, in this particular time, it was as business as usual. People are all out. Are you passenger? We, I was, uh, I was, I was on the, on the, on the gun actually. So, um, at this point, uh, I'm already a, a staff sergeant and, um, they needed a volunteer for the gun. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And, and, the, and these times you, you, um, you had a five point harness you would wear and it would buckle into the vehicle. And what that was for is if the vehicle rolls over, you're not going to go flying out and they can pull you in. Um, well, in this particular time, I didn't have a five-point harness because I had just volunteered last minute to help out. So there's a strap there you sit on, and that's it. That was that was all I had. Well, we were driving on the way back and over this, you know, this culvert, and they blew it up. And what saved my life was the fact that I wasn't secured to the vehicle. Had I been secured to the vehicle, I would have died. It threw me out of the vehicle. Uh, the vehicle flipped on its side and it, it threw me out. And then I was um, took shrapnel to my back and my right shoulder, my right, you know, chest, peck, and I was on fire. Didn't know it was out, out cold. All I remember was we're going back, and then a quick, what seemed to be like a high pitched sound, and then flash, and that was it. Lights out. That fast. That fast. I was out. I wasn't aware of anything. 
Um, they said I had came to, but I don't recall that at all. And then I passed back out. Uh, they took me to whatever cash, I think it might have been 29 cash out there. And then I woke up in Walter Reed. Oh, really? Yeah, I woke up there. So you see 130 straight from, they, they bypassed Ramstein. Uh, they took me to Ramstein, but they had me in a, an inducing coma. They, they had me in a, in wow. a coma. Wow. And I woke up at, at, at uh, Walter which Reed. Is, which, which I've been on these C-130s when they brought you that when I got about that too. It's, that, was, that is, a, I, I was on extreme pain medication. And the things that I saw on that plane have forever been ingrained in my mind. Yeah. To wake up in Walter Reed, a flashbang, and, and to do that. It was, um, I was burned over 60% of my body. I had third degree burns on my, um, on my right chest, my shoulder, my back. I had a big piece of shrapnel stuck in my back. Um, Did they take it out before you got to Walter Reed? Or? Yeah, they took it out, I believe at the cache. They yeah. took it out. They, they stabilized me there as best they could. Yeah. Um, which, they can't, which, by the way, when you were at a cache, they, it's, it's, not normal hospital it's it's what they could do to keep you alive right exactly. to get you to a hospital that's yeah. exactly what happened so there were people that were on the plane with me who had shrapnel still in their throat uh in their stomachs the guy next to me i was so doped up on morphine when i was looking at the guy he wouldn't answer me wow. and i was frustrated I'm like and I, but he, he got his neck his neck was pretty much blown off he was stitched all the way around when, when we landed and we were in the we've been we were in a hospital bed all the way to we landed in the it was. Uh, it's it was, um, it was a really tough time in my life because yes, it was real, real dark and yes, and, and um, I wasn't really big in my in, in faith at the time. Like you know, I believe in God, but just like I believe in my neighbor, yeah. you know, he's there. I know he's there, but I don't really have a relationship with him. So you know, it was really dark during those times, especially on the morphine, and it was just it was really hard to come off the morphine after the fact. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it, it's. It's, it's I think, a scary thing, right? I yeah. Mean, I especially have, I had uh, five skin graft surgeries, mm. uh, seven surgeries in total. Crazy pain. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it was a nightmare. It was tough. But all I kept thinking was, like, I got to get back. I got to get back. I got to get back. Sure. So, um, you know, it healed up. Took, took me some time. And during that time of my healing, um, the like, big army says, you know, you, you, know, you can't keep doing it. We're going to, we're going to. Do something else with you and for the for the meantime get you the care you need so i got stuck on recruiting duty <laughs> still with sutures i was on recruiting duty so it was pretty which is kind of crazy when you think about it right for instance i lost it on a sergeant first class because he wanted me to pick up trash at fort lewis <laughs> i was only an e5 and this guy wanted me to pick up trash in the side of the fruit I, I had to go, let's go to the IG with that one because yeah. I told this first time, I, I, the first time you got involved, I'm like, first time, if this guy tells you to pick up trash, I had a neck brace on. And you want me to go pick up trash? I lost yeah. it. I lost it. I didn't do well in the word transition unit. I was like, I need to be active. I can't. Yeah, and, yeah. And, but here, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. You are not with your unit. You're an 82nd Airborne Ranger soldier, and you are not with the people who you bleed with, bred with, and did all this stuff with, you know, I mean, scary, scary place to be, right? I mean, it is, it is very, it, it's, it's, because you don't know, you don't know where you belong. Yeah, I was, I was always, very I was very irritable. I was disgruntled. I didn't belong there. I wasn't with my, my family, my brothers, you know, yeah. it was tough because, yeah. um, it was a while before I actually got to see my family. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, it's yeah. a very scary place to be. Yeah. It was really hard, hard and trying time. And then especially on recruiting duty, you're just kind of on your own again. It's it's you're in the army, but you're not. It's a really yeah. weird environment. You're like a salesperson trying to sell people to join. While right. you got you know, and, and why you got mental issues that you really uh, have not dealt with. I got I got you know I'm still bleeding where my sutures are, and someone's asking me, is it dangerous? I'm like, well, yeah, it can be dangerous. I, I, I listen. We both wore the uniform. We love the military. Yeah. We love our country. We believe we were good soldiers. But at some point. Where is the logic in, in any of this? What, you know what I mean? It's, it's a really scary plane to say that maybe we needed some mental health yeah. in, this, in this venture that we were in, you know? Not, yeah. not so much. And, uh, I don't know. It's From what I understand, the Army learned a lot of lessons. They're doing really good I about agree. that stuff now. But what I'm saying is, yeah. is and, and that's what I mean, hindsight 2020, mm -hmm. they didn't know what to do. Nope. I mean, 
And and here we are. We're, you're how old now recruiting? How old are you recruiting? At the time, I think 23, I'm 23, 24? 20, 26. 26? 20, 20, yeah. So you're, you, you, you're actually E6, mm -hmm. so that's why you're a recruiter. Yeah, right? exactly. You're, I mean, so you meet, you fit the slot you need to be in. Yeah, so did but the... But you're messed up. Did, uh, let's just yeah. be real. You're really messed up. I, it, 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 it did the recruiting time, and it did help me to heal. It did, gave me the opportunity to, to do my physical therapy and right. everything else and be right. in an environment where I was close to home, my hometown, which I appreciated. Right. I understand. Yeah. Being at Fort Lewis in the wintertime from California, it's raining, on Percocet, on all the, the drugs that I was on. Yeah. Let me tell you something. It was good to come home and just be around... A little bit of normal, right? Yeah, and it, you're absolutely right. It was. And uh, that recruiting time just kind of gave me perspective again and, like, you know, keep pushing. And that is when I was at my lowest point, I believe, because I, I kid you not, I was flirting with suicide. I had my pistol in my hand. And I loaded it. And it was a dark time. I got divorced. I got divorced. Yeah. It was a dark time. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. they moved out of state and, I was on, you know, all these medications. I didn't want to deal with them anymore. So I loaded my pistol, put it to my head, and I pulled the trigger, and it malfunctioned. Did it really? It malfunctioned. It malfunctioned, and that's when I realized, okay, you know, there's more There's more to my life that God obviously wants to do with than this. And it was such a, I'm going to be honest, it was a very selfish moment in my life that I chose to go that route. You know, because um, at that point you can't think past your own pain and suffering. You can't even, it's, you can't see past it. And uh, for whatever reason, I had a moment of clarity after that. And I realized that, you know, this second and third order effects, you do something, it's going to have several, there's going to be several reactions, you know, and it's going to hurt a lot of people, friends, family. Like you're never alone. Even when you think you're alone, like, you know, God's with you. And, and I had, had this, uh, my parents had this um, picture. It was my grandma's, and it's um, it's an old picture. It's very well known. It's you know it's it's about Jesus, and it's about you know there's two footprints in the sand on the beach, and then there's one. And then um, you know I remember looking at that and reading the, what it said and paraphrasing, but it basically says you know why did you leave me alone? He's like, you're walking with me here, but then you weren't. Why did you leave me alone? He's like, no, I was always with you, and this is where I was carrying you. And that's when I realized, you know, at that point, God, you know, God picked me up and He carried me, literally carried me. And it's and this I, this is where you change. You think this is where you really like grab a hold of your life, get God on your side, and yeah. realize that something is something's got to change. Something needed to change. Something to change. And um. I, I, I made my peace with, with God and I, I basically asked God, uh, like, I need you in my life. I need you to run the show because every time I try and take over, I destroy things. So, so that having a, a strong and getting really strong in my faith and things started lining up, you know, little by little here and there. Not things, right away. Not it, right away. It's never it, that way. No, it, it's, it's kind of like what you're talking about training, right? Yeah. The little things you did back in boot camp, mm -hmm. the tiny things you did make a bigger change. Yeah. yeah now in your life right? yeah i was still in the army i actually was still had a few years left on my contract they weren't going to let me re-enlist to to you know go in depth to do my 20 they're like you you you're you're done <laughs> which is another adventure another adventure so i i had a few years left so i got stationed in fort drum new york with this newfound faith which really helped me because that is where i was able to see with different eyes and a little bit more clarity in that that type of environment is God is like really needed in that you know people need to have really strong moral foundations and whatever direction, they, direction because um, without it I mean you just go with the wind as far as well you go with that. you go whatever way you want to go that weekend right? exactly you're on leave on the weekend and you go and do crazy things and you're by yourself and you have nobody nobody really to guide you and give you direction which which by the way is a very it's it's like that. I think for high school kids, yeah. I think it's like that in the military. I think it's like that in college sometimes. Like when you don't have direction or mentors around you, I think it's. I think we lose direction. And I think, yeah, you know, because the army is so the military in general, is so structured. Yeah. So I finished my my time there quietly. It was a great experience at Fort uh, Fort Drum, New York, on uh, the Ten Mountain Division. Get out as uh, I get out as 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 I stayed as the E six. I couldn't get promoted because since I was getting out, yeah, yeah, I couldn't yeah, I couldn't yeah, hit the next step. Yeah, yeah. 
So I, I get out and I'm like, 2014, a little bit after that actually, some years. And I'm like, what do I, that was my identity since I was 17. I grew up in the army. Oh, now I'm 27, 28. Now I'm 31. You know, 14 years. Yeah. And I didn't, I was like, what am I going to do now? I'm 31 years old. You know, I have, I have college under my belt. I did what I was in, but this was my life. So, you know, I, uh, I went to school. I got a degree in business, but I started working in finance. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I had some experience in recruiting, so it helped deal with kind of like sales. I, did, I hated that job. Um, I had some other jobs, some warehouse jobs, this and that, and great people, but it just didn't, I didn't fit. Nothing fit. Um, I, and it wasn't a hardworking guy, but I just couldn't continue on with those jobs. It just wasn't me. You Listen, you spent 14 years of your life in the field. Yeah. Jumping out of airplanes in, in tactical situations, in yeah. wartime situations, and now you're stuck in a cubicle. That might make you wanna yeah you know, go crazy, great, like lose your mind. <laughs> and what what am I doing? Yeah, which is not bad, but I mean, what you've been—it's it's completely off of what you were. It wasn't I, fulfilling in any yeah. way. And and this is where I really like because I think we pick up here in 2017, 2018 mm-hmm. when we met. Um, I'm going through my cancer treatment. You become an army buddy to me, and I always like meeting fellow veterans. You were there for me during a very dark time in my life. And we heard each other's story and you were like an inspiration to me and with your daughters and, you know, your wife. I'm just like, I saw you change in from 2018 to now, where are you at now? Because you got out of the office job and now you're back in those mountains again. Yeah. In the earlier story, you talked about where you were at when you're in Afghanistan, like the terrain. Now Mm -hmm. you're in doing what? And helping people. Yeah. So, you know, I decided to try CrossFit reluctantly. I was really overweight. Uh, just, just my body was 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 not cooperating. And my doc's like, you know, if you you if you can you you've done so much in the military, you need to work out, or else you'll fall apart. You need to stay in shape. Your joints are gonna give out on you and whatnot. So I do that CrossFit. I get pointed to CrossFit, and that first week I meet you, and it was the first. My first week was the 2018 Open, and my second day at the at the box, the CrossFit box, was the first day of the Open, and I'm doing deadlifts, and there you're yelling at me, and I remember you put your Army PT shirt right there, right. you draped That's it right. Right. on the other bar for That's me to right. look at. At the Open, right? I said, yeah. this is what you're doing it for. Remember this. Right? So that just that community. And you crushed that workout, by the way. You uh, that, you were, I mean, it crushed me for sure. Yeah, yeah. But that community i hadn't felt that type of camaraderie since the military i agree i agree 100%. Um, and uh, people say it may sound like a cliche but it's true crossfit community is, is such a family uh, uh type of environment so there's that and and then uh but i still needed uh i wanted a career that was fulfilling something i love to do it and wasn't in a cubicle or it wasn't in a cubicle and, you know selling so finances you know what i mean and I'd never thought about being a firefighter. Uh, you know, my wife's like, why don't you try firefighting? Like, I don't want to do that. She's like, no, there's wall in firefighting. So I'm like, what is that? <laughs> so we go to orientation day, which actually I just came from today for the new guys. So this orientation, I go drop a resume. The interview process went through. I get hired on on, a, on, a, on the hand crew, which is a part-time on-call crew. And the second I put that pack on, I'm like, this is it. Yeah. This, this yeah. is it. And, and I, I'm going to tell you this right now. I watched you in your training and I saw something different inside you in the box. Like your motivation, when I first met you, I wouldn't say you were in a dark place, but you were different, right? And maybe it was just because you were nervous about crossing, but you go into your training and man, I see a spark in you like like you're 17 years old. Yeah. But you're doing something that I think you're, you're making an impact. You're helping people and I, I think you found your calling, brother. I mean, I really, you're responding to emergency situations. It's, it's got that dangerous, it's dangerous. It's yeah. not easy. You know what I mean? Like, but you're, you're doing it in a different light, right? Yeah. I mean, While in firefighting, uh, being on an engine crew, on a hotshot crew, uh, these, these, these positions, it's incredible. It's a blessing to be able to do it. And like right. you said, you're, ho- you're helping the community, you're helping others, you're putting others you're putting everybody else before you and now honestly I, i've come to realize that calling on my life 
isn't necessarily firefighting per se or anything like that. It's servitude. And you're, but you, you know, you served your country. Yeah. You know, you did your job very well to, to the point of almost giving you life, literally almost giving your life. And you got out of that dark hole. And even when you got out of the dark hole and you do what you're supposed to do, you go to college, you get a degree, you do it, you do all that stuff. And then it's still not fulfilling. Yeah. Not, you're not serving anybody. Right. Exactly. Like, you're, you know? I, I was checking all the boxes. Yes, yes. And the thing was, is it was about me, 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 me. But once yep. I took my, my eyes off of me yep. and put it on everybody else, that's when it clicked. Like, this is what, this is what being happy is about. Yeah. This is what having a calling on your life is about. It's when you are, are in it for other people. And that's what, yeah. that's why what you do is, is incredible because you're just, you know, whether it's, in, you know, being, having a direct hand in someone's life and, and changing them for the better, um, you know, or just motivating the masses in general. Um, I mean, I see that in you and I see that that's your calling. That's, that's amazing. And I'm so proud and honored to be your friend. Rob, I truly am grateful for you taking the time to share your story. And I know that this will resonate with hundreds, thousands, thousands and thousands of people, your story and where you were at, where you started the high speed 17 year old kid going to the darkest lows in your 20s, 30s to now is it's inspiring. And for kids that are going to join the military, for people that are in the military, and especially for those that are in our situation, past military, trying to find their way. Yeah. I think you, I think you have a, you have a gift and you're one of those rare unicorns that Thank are you. out there, you know? I will say this, like, I don't want to turn anybody off the military. If you ask me what I oh. do with a get in heartbeat, I, oh, yes. I would not change a, yeah. a thing. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. I will say, and thank you, by the way, is, is that if you can sell, surround yourself with good people, positive people that have an influence and build you up on your life, um, and you focus on just, I guess, just uh, everything else but yourself. If you just find that niche where you're good in and you surround yourself with good people and quite honestly, like, it's just really, I'm losing my train of thought. Well, no, but what I'm saying is, is you're, what, 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 look, what I think, you're, what I think you're doing yeah. is that you are going to help people in the service that you provided and the people you put you around with. Certain drill sergeants, certain sergeants, certain officers, certain leaders now that you're around with and putting yourself in these environments, it's going to make you a stronger person, more resilient in especially life situations. And when people come to you for advice, you're not giving them fluff, you're giving them real talk and it will help people get to the next level with what you do. And, and that's, that's really what I want to share, man. Your story is, is, is your tale of what you've seen and how you've came through the fire and out. Your military service is outstanding. You, you serve this country proud. You're, you're a proud veteran. You're a proud uh, soldier. And now it's time, even after you've paid your duty, to still continue to serve by helping those that need it. And that's that's who you are as a person, right? You didn't, that, that pistol didn't go off. No. You know, and thank God. I mean, really thank God that it, it malfunctioned and that you have this opportunity. Yeah. To make, to make, I think God said, okay, no, Rob, I'm not done with you yet. Yeah. Now I, I want you to make an impact and yeah. change change people's lives and, and this is this is a start to it and and as many people as i could get this out to as many people as veteran organizations that i could pass this story along and share i will because there's people out there that need this kind of talk this real talk this this truth and and from darkness of shadows and bad times to now where you're at is just amazing so i love you brother love you too man thank yeah, you very man. much for this experience i'm, I'm super pumped to see what happens with you in your next adventure and Fighting fire, so. Thank you. God bless, bro. God bless. Take Thank care. you.